Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Okay, good afternoon everybody. Um, welcome to Q this week. We're going to carry on a little bit from last week. And last week we were looking at um, the walls that we may have built up around us that represent our safety, what makes us feel secure, what makes us feel okay, um, and where, what we, the things that we have around ourselves, some of which we need and are essential, and some of which might have become so um, fixed in our life that they've become a bit impenetrable and yes they keep some stuff out but they also keep us in and we were talking last week about possibly finding uh, a port of entry a door or somehow a way out perhaps to a greater freedom from those walls and this week what we're going to talk about a little bit is how we negotiate our own um, and other people's walls because we don't we all have triggers don't we all have things that makes us go oh I don't feel safe um, um, no, don't like this. Um, and we all have quite different ones. And so what we're going to explore a little bit tonight is how we can keep those connections when actually different ones of us in here need different things to feel safe. Because don't we bump into one another's stuff sometimes? And don't those things sometimes cause the, the frictions, the anxiety, the things that are quite difficult? Um, we moved house in the summer um, we went from a sort of two up, two down to somewhere with a lot more space, which was lovely because our boy is now very tall and so it was very cramped. And not long after we'd moved in, there was this moment where I heard a very loud bang one morning and um, next minute I looked out the window and um, some youths in a stolen car had driven through our front wall. Um, it wasn't much fun to have your walls mowed down when actually your house is somewhere where you like to feel safe. And it made me think, what have I moved here for? Um, and I was assured by everybody on the street, we've lived here for 50 years and nothing like this has ever happened. And I thought, lucky me! Um, so it didn't feel very nice for someone to... to plow down my walls and sometimes when we bump into each other's stuff we can inadvertently do that to one another sort of bulldoze down something that someone else is keeping in place and actually I was thinking today there aren't many people's houses that I walk into without knocking there's very few actually there's my mum's there's Graham's mums, there's my sisters, and there's my friend who I lived with all through uni. So they're all people that one or other of us have shared a house with. They're the only people's houses that I would walk into without knocking, because it takes a certain um, type of relationship and a, a longevity and a trust within a relationship to just freely come and go into someone else's space. And so we always have that to navigate, don't we? And we've all got those walls and those attachments for really good reasons to us. And mine might look like nonsense to you and some of yours might look like nonsense to me, but they're, they're essential to me and I have to work around them and find ways out and you have to do the same. And um, it was interesting because yesterday... Um, 
I was texting a friend and, and I experienced this myself. I am somebody that used to believe things that were told me really readily, really readily. I would just believe you. And then things taught me in life that that was a bad idea and I should question. But I've taken that now to the extreme that I'm quite difficult to convince now. Unless I've thought it all through, unless I understand it, unless I question you relentlessly, as my husband will tell you, um, I find it difficult to accept. But um, some of my relationships, even the one with my Graham, it means a lot to him that I just believe him. So when I'm asking him 50 questions about something, I'm bulldozing his wall. So there's all of these things that we have to learn to accommodate and, and work with each other. Because if only one person is conceding all the time, um, that leads to anger, it leads to resentment, it leads to issues, because neither person is right or wrong. We've just got to find a way to stay connected with one another. Now, one of the things that is key that we're going to explore a bit tonight is, is compassion for one another and understanding. And this next clip you're going to see is an example of someone who has, over time, part of their safety has been to hoard a lot of things. Their stuff has become something that they really needed. And we're meeting the person at the point where she's got to the stage where she doesn't want that anymore. And it's actually, she's on Oprah Winfrey's show, and there's somebody been brought in to help her find a way through. And what I liked about this clip um, is the way that she was treated and the, the compassion that she was treated with. And again, this might not be something you would ever do, but for her, it was her solution. So letting go of it required a kindness towards her that I, I think is evident, at, particularly at the end of this clip. So see what you think. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Okay, you can hear me. Can you hear me? Excellent. Good afternoon, everybody. Hi. Uh, I was laughing when Jen was talking because she was talking about how sometimes when we come up against each other's walls, um, we end up kind of, I guess, being quite protective or being quite aggressive. And she said a phrase that really made me laugh because she said, but no one's right or wrong, are they? And I wonder how many of you went, yes, they are. I'm right. Because the problem is we have all these walls, but we tend to think we're right most of the time, don't we? Because, yeah. 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 Because if we didn't, well, we'd change, wouldn't we? Um, and I think often in our engagements with each other, the problem is we're so insistent on being right rather than having some understanding. Now, there's a concept I want to introduce to you tonight. You might, might know it already, but it's called scout mindset and soldier mindset. You see, there's two ways of approaching life and approaching how we deal with our differences. One is soldier mindset. Now, we're going to do a little bit of drama. Is that all right? <laughs> no, it's not. That's soldier mindset. <laughs> okay, no. Uh, so, if you want to, you don't have to. Do what you want. Soldier mindset, we're going to go, grr. Give me some grr. Oh, yes, Caleb's on board. See, soldier mindset tends to be when we feel like we want to fight for something. Now, I think that can be entirely appropriate sometimes. There are things in life that it's important to fight for. There's some things in life that it's important to fight against. Now, scout mindset. Anyone got some binoculars? Yeah, of course you have, in your pocket. Show me your binoculars, everyone. Yeah. So scout mindset is when you're interested in finding out what is really going on. Soldier mindset is about fighting. Scout mindset is about understanding. Now, I think often the problem that we have in our relationships is we're actually not always that interested in understanding 
each other. We kind of just want to be right. And um, I think the smart move often is to go with a scout mindset because often you end up fighting for the wrong reasons because you don't really understand what's going on. So you're actually fighting the wrong thing. Hands up if you've experienced some of that where maybe you've had a fight and at the end of it you think, actually, was anything really achieved there? Now sometimes, like I said, Fights and boundaries and walls are necessary things. So we're not saying that fighting in general is always a bad thing. But sometimes we don't need to get there if we would just engage an understanding scout mindset first. Now, we are going to watch a clip next that's from the movie Moana. Hands up if you've seen Moana. Excellent. For those of you who haven't, I just wanted to fill in a bit of the background. Now, there was once a beautiful island called Tefiti. That's quite satisfying to say if you'd like to say it. Tefiti. Now, there was a powerful stone called the Heart of Tefiti that was stolen from that island. And that beautiful island then grew into a a destructive monster made of lava called Tekar. Do you want to try Tekar? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Um, And this Tekar is trying to get the heart back. Now, I'm sure you can understand some of this. Anyone ever feel a bit monstrous? Anyone have some kids that are a little bit monstrous? Anyone have some family or friends that are a little bit monstrous sometimes? I wonder whether sometimes that's not because they're just a horrible person, but maybe with a little understanding we can see that sometimes it's because the heart has had something wrenched out of it. And actually in our engagements with each, with each other, sometimes that heart needs to be replaced. Now, a young girl called Moana finds the heart of Tefiti and makes it her mission to restore it to its rightful place with the help of Maui, the mischievous shape-shifting demigod who stole it in the first place. Now, Maui and Moana both have very different approaches to dealing with the monstrous Tekar. One has soldier mindset, Maui just wants to fight. But Moana gains some understanding. And because she understands the whole situation, she can get close enough to restore the heart. Now, we are often pretty monstrous, and our interactions with each other can be pretty monstrous, but can we resist the temptation to just launch into soldier mindset and fight, or can we embrace a scout mindset, grow in understanding each other, and maybe see hearts restored? I hope that makes some sense as you watch. Here we go. Hi. So, walls. Um... I've had a few walls lately. I need a tissue. I didn't think I would. I think I'd be all right. You need to run. <laughs> um, so the last, um, the last couple of years have been um, not great. Hmm. And um, I was looking through some texts this morning. Thank you, Treasure, from um, Chris and Anth. And uh, one thing that, that um, Jenny just said at the start was about compassion Sometimes you look at people, the stuff that they do and how they live their lives, and you think, oh, what are you doing like that for? It's just so obvious that what you're doing is, is foolish, you know? And um, for, for two years, I was walking through, and, and a lot longer, but the two years, the last two years is when things have been quite acute. And um, my walls were, were um, strong and um, hiding a lot of stuff, so I could sort of stand in front of the wall and be me and be Jen and, and, and hide behind all my humour and all this sort of stuff that I do to, to try and protect people so they look at me rather than the stuff that's behind there. So I'm sort of doing all jazz hands and things like that. And actually it gets a bit tiring. And uh, um, 
I recognised that, that things needed to change. And when you're going through not just physical pain, but emotional pain and spiritual pain, you just think, oh, there's no reprieve. Um, and the thing about walls is you don't want to be judged. And um, children, when they're very little, when they're three, they ask a lot of why questions because they're trying to make sense of the world. Why does this happen? Why does that happen? When you're an adult and somebody asks you why you're doing something in such a way, it feels hugely judgmental, hugely judgmental. You think, I'll tell you why I'm doing that. Um, and Chris and Anth have loved me back to life. And um, I've looked at some of the, the, the texts, and there was even there was a text from December 2017 from Anth. And it was so full of compassion, and it was so kind... And every single touch point that I've had with them over the last couple of years, not once have I felt condemned, not once have I felt judged, not once have I felt um, made to feel that my choices or things that I'd got myself into were wrong, not once. And um, the only thing that they did was to love me and to hold me lightly, and slowly for me to start dismantling this wall and to look at the bricks and all that sort of stuff that, that comes with it. And there are too many churches around where people feel, I can't tell them what's going on either with me or in my family because I'll be judged. And that's terrible. And the one thing I am just so proud of to my bones is this house is a house so full of compassion and so full of grace. And when I think of the things that both Chris and Anth have gone through and the stuff that has been done to them, which has broken my heart and I've just watched from a side, um, they were probably quite in a position to, to be very judgmental and they have proved so much the opposite. And they honour... Every one of you here and every one of the people that they, that they touch and that they meet. And um, I just wanted to say, and I've gone over time, so if we go over five o'clock, that's not their fault, it's mine. Um, I just wanted to say a, a huge thank you to them, to them, because, you know, we talk about Q without you, but Q without them would be, would be nothing. They are the heart of it. They are, they are the, the absolute beating heart of it. And I thought that my heart was so broken, and I didn't think it could ever, ever, ever be fixed. And I almost got to the point, a little bit like Jacob, always having a limp, thinking, well, I'll just always have to, have to feel like this, and that's just how it is. And through kindness and compassion and looking at my walls with their arms around me metaphorically and literally and, and say, what can we do? And um, I am so grateful to them for loving me back to life, for being compassionate, for being kind. And I hope um, that all of you can find it in your heart to, to really honour them for what they've walked through, what they continue to pioneer for us, because it's scary. It's really scary, and I hope they've got a lot of fruit th this weekend from this, this conference. But they're so amazing, and I honestly don't think I'd be here without them and without many of you. So, walls. Oh, sometimes we need to look at them um, and sometimes you're going to look at people and think why have you got that wall but actually let's just really hear what's going on for them be compassionate and that's where we can really really help with love okay um like jen um 
If you knew all of my story, you would probably understand all of my walls. And um, the people that have taken time at the moments where I've felt the most safe to find me behind those walls are the people that you... It's gold dust. It's absolute gold dust. Because in those moments, you don't know how you're going to do what you're doing and you're doing your best um, and again many of those people are in here tonight who found me in those moments behind the wall at the most trickiest time and have shown me that compassion but it takes that risk to having been found to then make a step towards something and it takes a trust sometimes at the time when you're finding it most difficult trust to trust to believe in that other person but what a wonderful thing that we can do for one another and I was struck today by the times that people have done it to me and the times I've hopefully helped others but I also realized there's lots of times where I, I won't have done that for you or for another person because sometimes all we can see is, is this, and it's really difficult to see one another. And I remembered, um, I taught a boy 20 years ago who was evidently um, autistic, and he had a teaching assistant, and he was quite different to some of the other children in the class. And he stayed with me for 20 years because of what happened. And I taught him in year seven and, seven and eight, um, and he really, really loved Doctor Who. I mean, he absolutely loved it. And in my year seven class, he loved it to the point where I would be teaching, you know, 28, 29, 30 children, and he would suddenly, in the middle of my teaching, flow start going exterminate <laughs> exterminate across the classroom and we'd have to go settle down settle down or he'd go I am a Dalek at the top of his voice now the class were gorgeous with him and handled it brilliantly but it was just occasionally a little disruptive to what I was trying to do with my job and he was just such a gorgeous lad so what I talked to his teaching assistant about and what I started to do was on every worksheet I gave him, or even in the corner of the, the, the board, it might have still been a white board, not a smart board, but I had a black board when I started teaching. What is that about, a black board? Um, in the corner, we would put a picture of a Dalek, or we'd put a Doctor Who line, so that every time um, he had a piece of work with him, it always had Doctor Who on. The work was nothing to do with Doctor Who, unless I could adjust it to fit. But most of the time, because it was what he connected with, it then gave me a way into actually getting him to do the work that he needed to do with the rest of the class, because it was his point of connection. And in year eight, he actually left the school to go somewhere else. And the day that he left, I just adored him. And he was in a really tricky class in year eight. They were interesting. But I just absolutely adored him. And on the day that he left, and I'd got him, like, all, all the students to sign him a card. And, we'd, I gave, you know, I did a little speech. And we handed him the card and a little present. And just at the end of the speech, um, I say, I've got some grand speech, you know, like, I said a few words. He stood up out of his seat. And you know when you're thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Where are you going? And he came right up. So he was like this close. You know when someone's really in your space? And he just looked at me straight in the face. He went, you've been really kind to me. At which point, I just cried. The teaching assistant cried. And I just thought, oh, it was just such a moment. But I was, I've remembered him this week because I think the reason why he felt kindness was the Daleks. I think he just, I just 
talk, did something that was the thing that was most precious to him. Um, and you can't do it for everybody. And I know I can't do that for everybody. But if each of us aims to do it for the, the people that we see, hopefully everybody gets covered by somebody. But taking that time to connect with somebody and see someone, that translates to them as, as kindness. And I think it would be great if we could aim to do that how we can, flaws and all, and, and the, there'll be times we don't manage it. But that will be a good aim, I think. And this next clip comes from the film Patch Adams, which is based on the, the real-life doctor who, who found an unconventional way to connect with people through, through joy, through making them laugh. But his story was that he was actually very, very sad. He was actually somebody that went, ended up in a mental institution himself, and that's sort of the moment that's represented in the film, because he was very, very sad. But what he found was that by being willing to... Having understood sadness and understood difficulty of the mind he was able to get into that space with others and help them find a way out and so sometimes the very things that are the most difficult in our story are the things that we can connect with and help others come out and I just think this clip is absolutely gorgeous so so take a look okay I'm going to finish us off again tonight with the last point and um, when I was thinking about it this week Captain Practical over here had to uh, have a very practical example of how that would work. And so um, I was thinking about, uh, I, in fact, I even wrote it down because I was just telling some people over there before that I, um, I had an idea of a story that would work and then I realised I'd made the ending of the story up in my head and it wasn't the real part of the story. So I, I had to readjust what I was going to say. So I've written it down just in case I give you the wrong ending. Um, but I started thinking about an actual literal wall. And when it comes to the questions that we might want to ask tonight about how do we get someone to let us in behind that wall? How do we make that connection? And also, if we are somebody with a wall, how do we make that first, like, that first hole in the wall that allows something in? Um, I started thinking about a real wall. And um, I, me and Jenny, I'd said that I'd ring Jenny on Wednesday night. And on <laughs> Wednesday night, I sat down to feed Ada to get her in bed. And suddenly, I was like struck with this moment. And I texted Jenny, and I think I spelt the name of the person who in the story wrong, which I think essentially would have given her a whole different point. <laughs> um, but I was like, oh, this is the person we have to talk about. Um, and the person I wanted to talk to you about tonight is um, a, a lady called Rahab from the Bible. Now, we don't often stand up and talk about Bible stories. But if you are somebody who's not grown up in church or who has and didn't really listen, so have no idea about Bible stories, Stories. I'm going to give you the quickest lowdown on Rahab you have ever heard. Um, essentially, she was a lady who lived within the walls of Jericho. And um, I'm going to get my notes so I don't give you the wrong ending to the Rahab story. Um, because that would be terrible and it would not make my point at all now. Um, but yeah, so Rahab lived in the walls of Jericho and... Um, the Israelites were heading that way because they wanted to take the city. They believed this was the promised land. They believed it was where they should be, but they couldn't get in. So they sent two spies. We have talked tonight already about scouts, about people going in to understand, to see the lay of the land, to work out how things are and how they'll pan out. They sent two spies, and they sent them specifically to Rahab's house. Now, they didn't know much about Rahab, but what they knew was where her house was. They could see her house from outside the walls. It was visible to them. And the reason it was so visible was because there was a scarlet cord hanging from her window. Now, you might think, what a strange thing to have hanging from your window. Well, if you were in Amsterdam, it would have been a red light. I'm going to say that so that everybody understands the significance of this scarlet cord. This scarlet cord suggested she was a working lady, um, had lots of gentlemen callers, and we'll keep it as 
that. Um, but that's how they knew where she was. Her house was visible to the Israelites from the outside. Um, and also, it was, they, could, they could find it when they went in because it had a scarlet cord. They decided to go to her house because it was easy to access. It was so close to the walls. She wasn't somebody who mixed with all the people in the middle of the town. She, she was on the edge of society, literally, and on the edge of the city. And these two spies came in. Now, the interesting part of the story for me is the fact that they got in. They got in through the walls. They thought they were going to get in unnoticed. I'm going to tell you now, they didn't. Um, that sort of puts an end to the story, doesn't it, really? But they thought they got in unnoticed. Um, but somehow they persuaded Rahab to let them into her house. Now, that for me is the interesting part. And I think it's the bit that we want to know. How the, how, what, what was it that, that made her let them in? Because we want to know how to get behind people's walls. We want to know how to get in. And, and that's the interesting part. But I'll come to it in a minute. I'll finish the story and get the right ending. So she let them in. Not only did she let them in, but she then, when, had, because they had been detected and the king sent guards there, she then protected them. She kept them safe, even though they were about to take her city. So she kept them safe. She hid them on a roof. And then gets even better than that. Then she let them escape. <laughs> she didn't even give them up. She let them escape down the scarlet, using the scarlet cord that was hanging from her window. Now that scarlet cord, oh, hang on a minute. My baby's screaming at the front here. Just stand up. She'll be a lot happier stood up. <laughs> She's always happy. There you go. Look. Stand up. It's my life, standing up with a baby. <laughs> um, yeah, so she let them escape. They got out using the scarlet cord, which was the thing that identified her as somebody on the edge of society, which I think is really interesting. So, Here's a few things that we want to talk about. The two points tonight we want to know are, how do we get in through people's walls? And if we are behind that wall, how do we create a gap? So these are the things that I thought about today. So how did the spies persuade Rahab to let them in? Number one, the spies were transparent. They were open about their intentions. As far as we're aware, they didn't go into Rahab's house with the intention that normal, normally men went into her house, as far as we're aware. And because it doesn't say that, I'm not going to put that on them. I'm going to presume they went in nicely um, and for nicer reasons. Well, I don't know, sieging a city. But I don't know. They went in anyway for good reason. And, um, but they were transparent. When you read the story, they were open about why they were there. Um, the second thing is they showed her mercy. They weren't judgmental about who she was or why she was there. They were just grateful that they could get into her house. And so they showed her mercy. The spies also understood that the relationship between them and Rahab was going to be two-way. Um, they would show mercy. She would offer safety. They had to be willing to understand that neither of their positions in that time were flawless. Neither of them were in a particularly good place. She didn't have a great job. She was struggling a little bit. She was going to harbor some spies. They were spies in a city. Neither of them were in great position. They were bold and they were brave and they believed that God was for them and not against them. And I suspect that Rahab caught some of that hope that they were holding on to. I'm going to put that out there. I don't know. It doesn't say that in the story particularly. But I suspect that she felt some of that. She must have felt that her city wasn't in a good place. She must have felt that actually that this was a better option than the city staying exactly as it was. And finally, they offered her a solemn and sacred promise. Now, when it comes to getting in inside somebody else's walls, when it comes to connecting with somebody who has put a barrier up and is struggling, can we honestly say that we are willing to do all of that, to connect with somebody? Because that's quite an intense thing. Just to re recap on that, if you want to get inside somebody's walls, if you want to connect with somebody who's put up a barrier, who is struggling, I'm suggesting that you need to be transparent about your in intentions, that you need to show mercy, that you understand that you are too not, too not without walls, 
that you can be bold and brave? Can you understand that you don't have to go this alone, that there's a higher power that's there for you and for them that you can connect with? And are you willing to make a promise that you can keep? Now, for me, that M1's a really important one because it's really easy to make a quick promise to somebody and say, I'll keep you safe, it'll be fine. But are you going to be there when it comes to it? Are you the person that's going to be there when when the walls fall down and it becomes really difficult? And I don't know, sometimes I make promises really quickly and I mean them in the moment. I really do mean them, but I don't know if I'm always there for the long haul. And it's really important when somebody lets you behind their walls that you are there for the long haul and that you have got their back. So the second thing we said was, if you're someone wanting to connect, desperate to create an entry point, but scared, then then what do we do? So I think there's another lesson to be learned from from, um, Rahab, and that's this. And I'm going to read it so that we can get through it quickly. But it's this. The scarlet cord was the thing that identified Rahab as a prostitute. It was the thing that potentially made her an outcast. It was the thing that put her in the position that she was, but it was the thing that ultimately brought her to safety. She waved that cord and kept that hanging from her window to identify her as being the one that saved the spies. And in in that, when the walls were taken down, she was kept safe by the Israelites. The cord, the thing that identified her as being an outcast, actually saved her in the end. So whatever your wall, whatever put you there, don't hide your scarlet thread. Your thread is the thing that will initiate a point of contact and point of connection. It's the thing that will ultimately allow you mercy and safety. It's risky business being honest. Jen said that when she was up here earlier. It's risky business being honest. What if somebody doesn't keep their promise? But being open and transparent, it's all risky. But know this, there is a promised land. The Israelites knew that. There is a kingdom that's worth the risk. There is a place beyond your walls. There is a mourners that is for you and not against you. And if you can wave your scarlet thread with pride, then you'll be able to see beyond the walls and make a connection with somebody and hopefully their promise. And I, I guess tonight, I just want to encourage you that if you are somebody that is sitting inside those walls that we've talked about for the past few weeks and you are thinking, I'm desperate for that connection, but I don't know... I don't know who to connect with out there. That, that here at Q, that those of us who are on the leadership and more people in here, I, I know from my heart because I've been there and I've experienced it, there are people here who are willing to make those promises to you, willing to keep them, willing to walk the journey with you. Jen's already talked about up here that Anthony Chris will do that. There are others, others of us as well, and we will do that for you. So if you are willing to take that risk, to hang your scarlet thread with pride, to knock a brick out and create a point of entry, then there is a chance for connection. So enjoy the rest of your evening. Enjoy the last song and uh, have a good week. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash qchurchyork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.